All right, brother. I appreciate this. Um, I know it's been a long time coming, easily months. Uh, I think the first interaction, I was um, running a bunch of errands for my my wife and I was on the road and I kept cutting in and out. And, um, and then I canceled a bunch of times. And then we finally had a great official kind of intro chat. And then um, here we are now. So I very much appreciate you doing this. Let's start this way. Why don't you tell the world all the folks that are listening, 90 seconds, who you are, what you're about, uh, and kind of what your focus are right now. And then we'll hop in. Yeah, man. AJ, I appreciate you having me on the podcast, man. Love your journey. Love the work that you're putting out there, making the world better, man. Um, you won't be too collective. Shout out to y'all, man. Y'all doing great work. <laughs> um, yeah, man. My name is uh, Ray White. I am a DEI leadership consultant and coach. A lot of the work that I do is helping create belonging communities where every identity belongs and thrives. So talking with executive leaders, talking to teams and staff, and asking the questions of what does it look like for us to create a belonging culture um, and our behaviors and our actions, but then also have it be institutional as a part of our policies, practices, just the way that we do work. Because um, it's truly important for us to thrive in this space. I love that. I love that. And um, overall, how long have you been doing it? Because I just found out that you're not the age that I thought you were. You're actually my age. We're actually the same exact age. When, 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 were you, when uh, what month were you born? Yeah, April. April oh, okay. 1990. Got yep. it. January. So, okay. Okay. Um, but uh, so how long have you been doing this this work? Yes. So I've, I've been active in this work. I would say um, it's one of those things where it's like... I my life experience shows up in this way, right? I, uh, for folks who are listening, I am identify as Black, African-American, um, yes, uh, and a millennial as well. Uh, and so uh, a lot of what I do and how I show up in the world has this equity lens and how I approach it. Um, so through my education, I graduated with sociology and American ethnic studies as my minor, and then taking active roles that are centered on uh, shoring up any social inequities in our communities. Um, and it wasn't until probably the pivotal moment that we all, the world halted, right, through pandemic and George Floyd's murder that um, realizing how strong my voice has been in this space and just the people that I'm building relationships with. And so I started taking active steps to be an advocate in this way uh, for the past three to two to three years, uh, for four years, really, um, of speaking, of uh, holding space, facilitating conversations centered on this work. Um, and I would say it's probably it's, everything is accelerated, especially in the last two to three years, as more and more organizations are finding people to help navigate them through the social justice, anti-racist journey. I love that. I love that. And and I think here's where I'm going to go with this. Yeah. During, during the last three to four years, what do you think has been the biggest learning curve for you? Um, and, and I think it's a little bit of a different question because I think a lot of, you're very similar to me and we're, I'm assuming based off of your overall background and what you do day to day um, with your current role and even things that you did previous to this role, um, you're kind of a self-taught uh, practitioner versus <laughs> kind of growing up in the world of HR from the lens of you get out of, you know, get out of, you know, university, you get a, um, you get a generalist job or a recruiting job, and then you kind of work your way up through all the different elements of HR. Um, right. What do you think has been the biggest, the, the biggest or the steepest learning curve? Yeah, I, like you said, I don't have my degree or any type of connection to the HR world. But I found that I've been doing a lot of HR things. <laughs> um, and uh, so from a positional standpoint, and just real quick from a career perspective, graduated, as you stated, we did, uh, I was an assistant program manager for a, a nonprofit literacy program in Oregon. And so through that work, um, I was volunteer management <laughs> and being able to, and that's so when you think about HR and language and connections, so learning how to navigate with people and managing the work and managing the people in the work, um, and then transition to uh, the healthcare industry uh, within the healthcare institution here in Oregon um, as a IT supervisor. And through that lens, having to learn what are all the things that HR is asking for our employees and for me to lead my staff. 
in addition to so the work itself, uh, making sure that the work is happening smoothly and effectively. Um, but the learning curve, especially when it comes to integrating or, or having the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion with the HR work is that it has to be integrated um, in order for it to be successful. And too often, especially in the last four, three to four years, or prior to that, honestly, um, the, just the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion has always been standalone, its own department or person or somebody like an administrator, right, that doesn't have institutional power trying to help initiate these initiatives for um, all of our social identities. And then again, once in the last three to four years, seeing the rise of chief D uh, CDOs and roles that do have the institutional power, but it's still a little bit siloed. And mm. what I'm hoping to, and it's not just my voice, there are many voices out there that are saying we need to integrate yours included, right? You have a bunch of podcasts that talk about integrating this DEIB lens into the work that we're doing um, in our in our KPA, KPIs and OKRs and just the way that we're building culture. Um, what I'm noticing is that that is necessary if we want to retain our staff or as necessary if we want uh, to diverse our staff um, to the people that we're supplying and the people that we are uh, creating a, a, a healthier culture, a healthier environment, um, it needs to have that lens mixed in together and integrated together. Um, and people are asking, how do we do that? <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Like this institution has been around for a hundred years. <laughs> it hasn't thought about it then is now we're thinking about it. Now we're forced to think about it now and we should. Um, so the learning curve is how do you have the language of his, of uh, longevity, institutional uh, ways of doing work uh, from a status quo lens and truly DEI breaking that mold and asking us to do life differently. And the change curve is hard. People are, people's perspectives and their journey is, uh, are, are different levels. And you, the difficulty is how do you move everybody um, in lockstep towards that vision of a multicultural and a belonging culture. Yeah, yeah, that that was well said, and and I and I I think for DEI and B, I think really for HR and leadership. Period. What I've realized recently is that um, even if a brand is large, mm -hmm. right. Um, large from a revenue perspective, large from a brand perspective, a PR perspective, um, an impact perspective. What I've realized, and this is going to sound crazy, so please follow with me. This is going to sound Very good. Let's go. Um, and anyone out here that wants to debate, or maybe you might want to debate this, but um, I'll, let, I'll I'll kind of preface it with this first. You know, I started as a business person first. A lot of people, when they see E1B2, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, Anthony, AJ, he's someone that's going to over-index on loving and supporting and caring about employees and totally forget about the business, whatever the case is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, let me be on the record by saying I started out my career building from 19 to 25. I built companies. I I didn't even, um, I didn't even touch uh, people operations leadership inside of a company as a role or being that person um, individually you mm -hmm. know behind the scenes around 21 22 I definitely started researching and studying so I'm looking at about 10 years now in total but but let's not get it twisted here I really am a business person first so when I say what I'm going to say please remember that um, what I realized is that you can build a huge business without doing anything innovative on the people side. And I know that's a big, crazy statement. You can build a massive business without having any policies or best practices that are incredibly inclusive, or um, you can have, you can build a huge company without doing any innovations on the human capability side, recruiting side. There, there are companies out here that have been around for 90 years, a hundred years that are doing billions of dollars in revenue a year that still use like what's some, I don't even know. They still use like, I can't even think of something. Like I'm trying to think of something so simplistic. Um, 
yeah, I'm I'm pausing. The, I'm stalling the episode. The point is, I can't even come up with an example. Um, but there are companies that are huge that still use very old school or remedial best practices in HR that have made that have massive businesses. There are companies that churn uh, amazing talent out, and just because of their status and brand equity, they're 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 able to replace that amazing talent. So, I say that to say this. It is possible to build a massive, massive, massive business without innovating a lot of this work. But I think there's enough data that shows when you do a lot of the work that you and I both do, the businesses that do versus the businesses that are not trumps those other organizations, right? So if your goal is to build a billion dollar business, you can do that. Now, there's a ton of people on record that do not believe that's true anymore. I believe you can. I know you can. But I guarantee the same company with the same people with the same products and services and the same marketplace and the same industry, if they were to apply a lot of the work that you and I do, could build an incredibly massive business that trumps that other business. So if they're doing a billion in revenue, they could easily do three or four billion in revenue with yeah. some of this work. Um, so yeah, which I to I'll speak to there. that. Yeah. I don't want to necessarily debate you. Like I agree. <laughs> like yeah. folks out here making money, <laughs> not having to care about their people, right? And and even in the way that technology is moving with AI and um, helping with a lot of the repetitive jobs that folks are taking on or doing, um, you know, you're going to see more and more of just that speed in which that work can be or revenue can be generated through technology, right? So um, so more and more that's gonna happen and even in the antiquated HR systems where you just have the basic um, legal aspects of HR and then everything else is just kind of through the wind. Um, but then the question turns into uh, ethics. <laughs> uh, the question then turns into longevity or, or even just, um, uh, brand rec or name recognition or just the mm -hmm. reputation uh, reputation that the organization holds um, because I mean as a species we're not going anywhere for a while so yeah. um, if if we do not like you said do the work that we are doing um, yes you can make a billion but at what cost like what at what human or social mm -hmm. capital cost will you be losing if the only goal is to make the money um, and some and sadly there are people in the world that does have that lens but um, I do think from a social responsibility and um, aspect when it comes to the work, we got to find a way to marry the two. And I think that's, you know, you, essentially, you talked about the bit, you came from a business side. I'm definitely coming from the people side into this work uh, and having to learn business along the way. So it's just fascinating engaging, you know, you and others who have that business sense. And I'm always like, okay, how do you think? Cause I love that. And then, so I can embody that while, what does it look like to, you know, with other folks who have that business sense, but maybe lacking the people side, how yeah. do we encourage those skill sets to say, if you just do this little thing in your one-on-ones, it will have exponential growth and the people trusting you as an mm -hmm. example, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I agree with all of that. And, and, and I, and I brought that whole rant up and I started this little, this little moment here is because, um, what I've been noticing recently and you being someone that's, you know, again, five, six years into this work and myself being someone that's over a decade into this work, relatively small doses of time compared to a lot of, I'm sure our mentors and other folks here. Um, what I've been noticing and, 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 and what I do actually allows me the luxury to do this, right? Because I'm at the center of so many different initiatives where um, what I'm finding is that every single company and we talked about this offline, I think I said this, is in a mm -hmm. different stage of being able to embrace and understand. Like I have talked to, I won't call anyone to help. I have talked <laughs> to C-suite and VP level HR people that sit in enterprise level companies. Mm -hmm. um, companies that have thousands of employees that, that that individual I know for a fact, because I just know the salary and numbers there in the ranges, most likely without a doubt, getting over 200,000 close to a quarter of a million dollars a year for their work that are not educated enough. And this is no knock on them. They, they just have never developed the skill, the desire, the wherewithal to learn things like 
again, I'll do some quick plugs, like what, what's happening with Almost Insight with the human capability stuff, or what's happening with AI and how it can impact some things in DE&I, or some of these amazing, amazing recruiting firms and technologies and tools that are built just to understand how to remove as much bias as possible in the interview process, um, or how to make thoughtful partnerships and relationships with, with job boards that are exclusively with, mm. with African-American or people of color um, backgrounds and things of that nature. Like, it's not that they're ignorant. It's not that they're not educated. It's not that they don't know all of the traditional C-suite level HR best practices. It's that there's a, there's wide ranges and gaps of desires to learn yeah. what's out there now, you know? And, I, and I'm just... And I'll let you go real quick. I, I just found this out probably over the last six months. Like it's finally, for whatever reason, hitting me in my face. And it's probably because I'm at the center of all these brands where that's called what it is. I'm trying to make some partnerships and some deals happen. And I'm right. realizing that they're like, oh no, this is amazing. We just don't even know what the hell I'm even looking at. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I assume you did. <laughs> mm. You know, uh, we don't, even, they're like, we don't even know how to practically use this. The, my CFO that I have to get budget from is going to look at this like they're, like I'm crazy. Like this looks like it's a different language on the screen. Um, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, man. I, you know, I come from a point of building relationships to understand, okay, what is, what will make sense, <laughs> right? Like what will help you understand and, and recognize the importance and the value of this work when it, as a C-suite executive. And um, those type of conversations don't happen or are very difficult to happen day one, especially if you step into a role as a DEI practitioner in an organization that hasn't had one in a long time or one that has that level of access, right? Um, and, uh, and a lot of the work that needs to be done essentially is building relationships to understand what their priorities are, what they see and feel and think, and then find a way to infuse this language into the work that they're doing or ask like Socratic questions to help draw out where they are when it comes to this journey. And so um, I think it's a huge disservice if we are, I mean, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> uh, personally, I think it's a huge disservice to kind of to expect a C-suite executive to say day one, you need to change your worldview and your mental in the way that you approach your work. And I mean, if we consider just even our own journeys, it, it takes a while for us to grasp any concept. And we have to have a level of human uh, psychology, which I, I don't have a degree in, but it's also an area that I'm learning and understanding too of the human behavior, human psychology, how people approach um, new concepts and change management. And, and just because they're in a position that's often driving change doesn't necessarily mean that they are prepared to take that change upon themselves. So how do we... Um, Again, learn the language, learn their perspective, and try to infuse this uh, DEIB into their work. But then um, sprinkle in either different voices or different people who have a relationship with the executive to also carry that level of understanding too. Um, so that way it's being heard from multiple sides and multiple angles. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense, man. It makes total sense. And um, like I said, it's something that, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's and to your point on like the human human behavior side of things um, that you're learning, you know, that's that's just the biggest thing that anyone listening. Um, we have to start really. And here's another thing I actually want your feedback on. We have to start yeah. really uh, being excited about adopting and learning new things, but do but but actually realizing how learning actually goes like learning learning like learning something legitimately goes like this you you read something you go to an event a keynote a, a certification and then you quite literally the next moment try to put something in place internally within the organization so at the very least you're teaching your brand and everyone else that's doing it how to actually experience what you learned right like i'm like and this is a whole another thing but i'll just give this one high level point of view like america i believe not even America, just like regular, I guess, education period is really about um, memorizing something, taking a test, showing you can remember it for a bit of time, and then 
moving on from it and not applying it into your day-to-day work or your day-to-day efforts in, in life, right? And and that's not how the brain quite literally learns, like at a, at a neuroscience level, you have to apply yourself and and, and experience it. So um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on like, you you learn stuff in the DEI sector, you learn stuff in the talent and recruiting sector. Go try it literally next week inside of your company in some way, shape, form, or fashion. You know. Yes. Yeah. Actually. Uh, so so for those um, in my office, I have a bookshelf, and I'm trying to see if I have a book on there that kind of talks a bit about this, but uh, which is um, called "The Pedagogy of the Oppressed" by Paulo Freire, mm-hmm. and fascinating book because it talks exactly what you just stated about the education system. Um, and he, he's not even American, but he's just education itself, right. As a whole, but, uh, two, two lenses, one being the banking concept where it's just a deposit of information. And like you said, the expectation to take the test and regurgitate that information, but it doesn't truly stick. You just in one year out the other, or the next year, as you graduate on to the next year of your schooling, you know, hopefully that information compounds, but honestly, you probably forget, (laughs) forgot a lot. So Mm -hmm. you have to remember those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, What he proposes and which I'm a true component of, and it stuck with me for the past 15 years is um, this act of praxis where it's a cyclical cyclical action of reflection and action. So exactly what you just stated, where you reflect, you, you uh, input, take the inputs of DEIP, for example, or unconscious bias or, um, uh, understanding a new worldview and equity lens in, in the work that we do, you you input that through a facilitator or a lesson or book or what have you. But in order for it to actually stick and you have to immediately take action to um, see how it works in the real world. And then from that point, you reflect and see, okay, what worked, what didn't work, and then could do it again. And through that journey is how we can get quicker in our ability to uh, cognitively understand uh, have have an equity lens or just any learning practice in general um, and be able to shorten the learning curve towards creating that change that we want to see. Yep. Um, and that that has to be a part of the process. And that's something too, as a facilitator and as a, as a coach and on the, on the end that is teaching, that's educating, like I have to build that in as a part of my practice to where I don't want to just talk at you for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or keynote, what have you. It's like, no, we got to we got to dialogue. Like, we got to talk about this. We got to reflect about this. We got to say, okay, now what does this mean to you? Like, how do you see this concept of um, uh, reducing your unconscious bias, right? Or how do you call out bias or have accountability when it comes to uh, inequities in your, in your community? Like, how do you see that and recognize that? Okay, so what's the one action you could take immediately? Yeah. Like right now. <laughs> so, so that way you can get, get in the habit of, taking action, but over, you know, not seeing things as a failure, but seeing it as a lesson and learning through it um, because nobody's perfect and we got to work through it together to make it better. No, I agree with all that. And then, and then I'll even bring something that's like super operational and tactical mm-hmm. from a business perspective that will help this, which is, um, which is, you know, a lot of the HR people listening and, and even yourself as you move through your own journey and definitely something I attempt to do as I go through my career, um, is to really understand the world of decision-making structures and and learn how to stand up for yourself and be thoughtful and say as an HR leader, um, hey, look, I report to, let's say you are a chief people officer and you report to uh, the financial suite of the house or uh, of the company. Let's say you report to the CFO. Let's say you text the report to the COO. I've seen, I've seen even HR, I've seen even HR leaders report to the CTO. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. Um, and that's, <laughs> they, they shouldn't report to anyone else besides the CEO. And that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but having the confidence and having the clarity to go to those individuals that you report to and say, look, um, we need to, uh, restructure the decision-making, um, the decision-making bandwidth that I have, the process mm-hmm. to get things greenlit. Um, we need to restructure and, to st- and start to really thoughtfully plan out uh, the approval of budget. Um, I need to be able to get access to realistic budget. Uh, I need to get, um, I-, I need to be able to be posi- in the position to truly build out my team. And when I have a new idea or an initiative, let's co-create what testing 
this new initiative looks like and, and have you green like that? And then we can talk about what it actually looks like. Cause like the, in, in the entrepreneurial world, and you'll agree with this probably like when you get a new deal or you work with a new client or a, a new structure is happening. Like for example, with, with some things I'm working in now, we just landed a new partnership. We're going to crawl before we walk. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to, we're signing a three month deal. There's a couple small engagements that we're looking to do. And then we'll sign a six month and then we'll sign a year. And, and the same thing can happen internally. Yeah. Chief people officers out here, heads of DNI, you can talk to your CEOs, your CFOs, your COOs, and figure out a, a decision-making structure where they'll allow you and you can co-create to, to crawl before you walk yes. and try something for a, a few bit, a, a bit of time. And uh, so, so what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, man, I, uh, a lot, and I love it because what, what it shows is, especially in this work, um, if you are a chief diversity officer or, or head of people or what have you, innately, I would hope, right, in this role, innately, you're already thinking of culture and systems. Like, how does this work? <laughs> how does people work in this society, in this world? And you start seeing things from that level, right? Uh, Peterson Gay, uh, the fifth discipline, also talks about just that, like, um, systems level thinking. And we, we hope that a lot of executives have that, but sometimes that gets missed neither here nor there. But as a chief diversity officer or somebody in the C, uh, HR role, engaging in people, navigating with people, knowing how the system works can then be able to say, like, you, how do you go to um, the, the CFO who has a decision or has that financial lens? Like, how do you understand what his decision or his or her decision-making, their decision-making processes are? Um, and where could you find that common ground to help further both of your initiatives, right? Um, recognizing the cycle in which that strategic plans are being made um, or how budgeting plays a role, like having an awareness of when are the key points to start integrating or trying new things or, or having the conversation and dialogue is important. And then again, as an executive level, having the business case, I mean, DE&I, <laughs> there's a growing conversation in the DEI space that there's, we shouldn't have to create a business case to care for people. Sadly, we kind of, mm -hmm. unfortunately, in the business world, that is a necessity. So how do you create a business case that's directly tied to your institution um, to show the value of the initiative that you're a part of? Like, sure, pull from external sources and other industries, but what's going to be key is having it tied to specifically to your institution um, to show that value. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is there's still stuff within your power that you can do and leverage that doesn't necessarily need to go all the way up the chain. Now, we hope that in your position and role, you are, we are mindful of uh, what's what's right and what's wrong, right? Like we know that we can't just do anything from our department or from our seat, but we know how to leverage relationships. We know how to leverage uh, influence in, uh, relationships in our, in our work to move the initiatives forward. But there's a lot that we can do uh, just within the office itself that doesn't necessarily need to have um, a, a large presentation like you can go and round with the frontline staff and have conversations with them on the floor and say, what, how are you doing? <laughs> like mm -hmm. you can build that in and build relationships there. You could, um, you know, if, if there is a budget, how do you uh, leverage that budget to bring in either a speaker or create an event that is uh, within your realm to, to do right. And, yep. you know, have a progress report to showcase that with your one-ups to say, you know, Yes, here are the numbers in which that we showed up or how we were met or below budget. But then also like here's the what people are saying qualitatively about our event or how this is helping boost morale in this way. Um, what if we did this on a larger scale? Like what if we leverage this partnership and that partnership in the institution to help make this a bigger thing and an annual thing as a part of our budget? So, so a lot of this is getting scrappy, <laughs> sadly, uh, or, or in a good way, right? I guess not sadly getting scrappy with what you have and the resources that you have to, and the people that you're building relationships with to articulate and showcase the importance of DEIB within the institution. Um, and again, I mean, I don't know, I, I see a lot of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial perspective with this role um, being a key skill set to leverage and not just waiting for approval or waiting for somebody to tell you, oh, now you can um, create that cultural event that is geared toward a particular demographic yeah no and and what you said before is true no it, it is sad because um mm -hmm. i i'll give you a couple of different 
verticals and, and companies that don't have to go through this. Um, I intimately let, intimately know um, sales teams and marketing teams right now have endless budget, hmm. endless trips to Dubai, trips to Miami, first class, all the best CRMs, the tools, the resources, all the money on the marketing for the events and speakers and conferences and channel part, anything you can think of. Hmm. Look at what product teams have. Look at the budget they have for all the two, three, four hundred thousand dollars salary for engineers and building out the teams and um and so the companies out here, and, and this is actually, we need to, we need to clip this and, 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 and I'm going to run probably $1,500 worth of ads on LinkedIn behind this. We need to clip this because I, I have a message actually for, for people like this. Um, a lot of companies right now are trying to say that, um, remember how they used to say HR departments used to be looked at as uh what do they call it? A, what should we call it? Center? A, uh, 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 not a profit center like a marketing or sales engine is. It's a uh, mm. pretty much they were trying to say that HR teams don't help the companies make money. They're extracting money. They're extracting resources. That's why they don't give those departments enough resources, right? But then about yeah. five, 10 years ago, all these companies were popping up saying, oh no, we look at HR teams as profit centers and all these other things. And you see the you see the CEOs of all the biggest brands in the world on these keynotes uh, talking about how they dump so much money and resource, or they they would, in theory, dump so much money and resources into the people teams and how they look at them as a profit center and how the HR teams are helping them save money. But you're not resourcing and fueling these teams with any of the same things that you're doing with all the other verticals in your business. I'll mm-hmm. give it to you again. Product teams, marketing teams, sales teams. Um, I'm trying to think partnership teams. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Um, uh, uh, fi- finance teams. Um, the 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 the, le- the shit, legal teams um, mm-hmm. that are that are in certain industries or or sectors where their product may be a little bit similar to a competitor, so they have to be really thoughtful about you know uh, copyright infringement and all those things. Uh, so, but but where's the money? For for the the HR teams, the DEI teams, quite literally, you know, and, and that's what will lead me to my next question for you and a little you know a little brainstorming here. Yeah. So in your first six months, in theory, of uh, potentially having a role as a head of DEI, like, how are you thinking about that? How are you thinking about budget approval and building out your team and having access to technology and tools? Um, yeah. You know. What are your thoughts on that whole rant? And then what are your thoughts on that theoretical idea for you personally? Yeah, I I would be, I'm never, I don't want to put this. (laughs) Like, I want to make sure that um, there's no cookie cutter way to implement DEI within any space, right? Like, yes, their concepts and their best practices or preferred practices. But once you actually get in it, then you'll about to see the lay of the land, right? So back to the kind of the idea of, uh, us being that uh, cultural or, or organizational surveyors, organizational development mindset when it comes to how the work, how the organization works. Um, and so once once you, if you're plopped in into this role, being able to survey, okay, what is in my power? What do I have access to? I have an idea of the team I want to bring with me, you know, and I, I don't know for your fans, if y'all are football uh, enthusiasts or not, but just the fact that like Deion Sanders came from HPCU to Colorado and I'm he was like, I'm bringing my I'm, team with me. What's yeah, that? I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm going to say I'm going to that. Uh, I'm going to the uh, Colorado USC game. Oh, let's go. Hey, man, that's going to be that's going to be fire. But uh, our game, ain't it? Oh, man. But it's like, I mean, he had him. I mean, again, he's a he's an athlete. He's he's phenomenal building culture and teams and people and whatnot. But he's like, you know, I'm bringing my team with me. I know what success looks like. Um, I think that with this position, like, I, I, you know, theoretically, I'll come in and like, I know what success looks like. I know that, yes, as, as, as a chief or director, somebody who oversees the strategic aspect of this, I know that I'm going to need a manager. I know I'm going to need a data analyst. I know I'm going to need a, um, a, a learning development specialist. Um, these are the things that I would like to have on the team. But then that may not happen day one. So then I'm going out to see where do those people live in the organization already? 
how do I build relationships with those individuals and start implementing or start infusing this lens into the work that they're already doing, um, which take will take some time. But that would allow the space to kind of say, hey, like, do you see the value of looking at our hiring uh, practices or recruiting practices and the pool of talent is not as inclusive as our organization or our community, right? Or the mm -hmm. industry. Uh, so how do we start building those bridges across various organizations or platforms that do have a, a greater diversity pool and start, you know, incorporating our relationships there, uh, which would incorporate us, which means that we have to have the data, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm rambling as well, but just like, no, you're good. Learning the data, understanding the, uh, the data that's already tracked and the data that needs to be tracked. And then through that, being able to build the relationships across the divisions, across uh, departments, um, and understand again how they take, how they work, what are their priorities, and how do you infuse this some aspect of DEI equity lens within their work? Um, going to the floor, seeing what's actually happening, uh, not just from the staff's report from the executive room, but actually engaging with the staff that they're, you know, direct reports all the way down, and in in an appropriate way, showing up to their huddles or showing up to their team meetings and departments, uh, just to be a presence, right? Yeah. Um, that has to be done because none, none of this work can be done in a silo or in a back office somewhere. It is truly a forward facing people first, you know, he won't be too mindset, right. Of yeah, yeah. getting out there, getting engaged with the folks and, and, and showing that, Hey, you care, you matter, you're in this space. Um, and a lot of that is, I mean, honestly, what, 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 what will be challenging and, but also a good thing is, maybe not necessarily having a big bang event or activity within your first six months, because what that could potentially do is put so your sole focus on getting a, getting an event off the ground when you're like not losing sight on what maybe the true root cause or true issues that staff members are engaging or experiencing and yeah. addressing that. And mm -hmm. that, you know, so I would personally curb my enthusiasm a little bit with people saying we need to have this initiative or this activity it's like, well, Maybe like let's let's critically critically assess that first. But have we? What well, if we do build that or do that uh, event? What's the next step, or how would that lead to the frontline staff member who constantly feels uh, psychologically unsafe in their workplace? Right? Like, do how do we make sure that we're not just doing um, for anything performative and actually tying the work that we're doing to true meaningful impact of the people that we're trying to serve in our community? No, that was well said, brother. The first six months is training camp. You know, mm. the, the first six months, you're in the gym, you're meeting with the coaches, you're you're trying to get budget approvals, you're trying to figure out what initiatives you actually can or cannot do, um, how they're going to work. Like you said, building relationships with all the different departments, um, from the executive down to the ground floor folks, um, yeah. and you're just getting things ready. Um, and, and the same thing, the same, you know, that's the same, it's the same methodology for life, right? Whether it's losing weight, whether it's building a business, whether it's trying to take on a new role, if you are in the gym or if you are in the dungeon trying to figure things out, or if you are uh, collecting data and strategies and thoughts, and, and it seems like you're dormant, it seems like nothing is happening, what's going to inevitably happen is you're really just getting yourself together. You're getting yeah. your ideas together. You're trying to make the most thoughtful decisions. So then when you do in month seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, start to actually do things, everyone's wondering why you're moving so fast, so sharp, so efficient. It's like, no, this is actually not difficult at all because we've thoughtfully baked all this out. Um, exactly. You know, you know, and I'll give us a, a, a little bit of a comparison in a different way, you know. Number one, thank you to God for everything he's been doing in my life recently. Mm. But the last, I would say the last 18 months has been a beautiful journey of financial levels that I've never seen before, being able to support my family in ways and my wife in ways and ways that I've never had before. Um, and and it's been, and my wife was asking, she's like, where's all this coming from? And I was like, this was in this was that work when you saw when you saw nothing happening for a year. And you yes. were wondering what the hell's going on and why, and, and you know, and, and shout out to my, uh, my mother-in-law, I'll even do this. I'll get crazy. Uh, we got into a crazy heated debate at a, at a dinner two years ago, mm. um, where she was saying to, to me, um, just not under, she was like, 
I see what you're doing. Like you're paying your bills. You got a nice house. You got things, you know, you're good. But she's like, where's this all going? Like, what's the next step? What's the next, like, like, where do you, what are you really trying to do with all of everything that you're associated with? I go on your LinkedIn, you got a million things going on. I can't really read what you're doing. Obviously I see that you're taking care of my daughter, but you know, it's, it's, what's, what, what is the end picture? Because in her mind, it, in her mind, what it looks like tangibly from her POV, things happen a little bit faster or whatever the case mm-hmm. is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now fast forward two years later, I just saw her this past Christmas and she pulled me inside. She's like, I guess you weren't playing, huh? And I was like, I, I, was, I, was, in, I was in the gym. <laughs> and, and, and all my, everyone has been doing this my whole life where um, everyone's behind the scenes asking questions, what's going on? I haven't heard from them. I don't see anything popping them. And then do, 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 you just start. It's like, hold on, where's all this coming from? And it's like, I was working. And so the same thing can happen for yes. your example with DEI or yes. HR or whatever the case is. Uh, there's no issue for being dormant and quiet for six months, collecting data, getting your thoughts together. And the last thing I'll say on this rant and then give me your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 we need the 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 executives that these HR and DNI leads report to to be the opposite of my mother-in-law, though I love you. Um uh Stephanie, I do love you, but opposite of that, um, we need them to be the opposite from the angle of appreciate and facilitate and fuel them moving thoughtfully, fuel yeah. their energy of like look at six months of you paying potentially ten thousand dollars a month or eight thousand dollars a month salary. Look at that as a benefit. Look at that as, look, they're just getting themselves together. They're going to move aggressively and sharply. Look at it as an investment. Because yes. again, and I said it was going to be the last thing. I'll give you one more. Give it to me. It's Come same, on, man. Bro, it's the same shit in part of my French in marketing. Mm-hmm. I've seen team, I'm telling you, I've seen t- sales team, marketing, shit, and you know this, product teams in a dungeon for eight months. And no one says anything to them, but they're like, nope, we're investing in it. We know that they're working. We have our JARA boards, whatever whatever they use in their project management. Why can't it be the same thing for our HR and DEI team? So what are your thoughts on all of that? 100%. And I, and I think that's where, again, back to the marrying of that people and business side of things, right? So recognizing that we don't develop it, like immediately. It's, things take time. Um, I love the training camp mentality of being in the gym mentality because you don't get stronger one time in the gym. Like it takes dedicated practice, dedicated frequency, specific workouts, specific tactics. And then eventually over time um, with through that level of commitment, you will see progress. And yeah, then you'll be able to lift the whole gym with ease because of all the work you've been putting in for six months to a year, what have you. I would love that we would look at this type of work very similarly both from an institutional standpoint and also from the uh, the practitioner standpoint, because we are a culture that wants to have things move fast and happen and, and, and in an instant. And the, the joys of technology has made it so to where now we think we can get anything in two day shipping, right? Mm-hmm. Or even one day, one day shipping. So uh, that microwave level of thinking is not what's going to help things move faster or sustain itself. So how do we uh, practice some level of uh, patience in this work. But as we are building, we're not just building, you know, we have a vision to what we're building towards. And I think that is the piece that has to be clearly articulated and in lockstep with the with the CEO or the, the, the any chief officer, uh, the C-suite executives when it comes to the, the work that we're doing. Um, as, a, as a DEI practitioner, my, I have to make sure my vision mirrors their vision and 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 then beyond, right? That's gonna be broader. Uh, and if we can share and share that message, like Dude, we're going towards this, like this is the goal. The championship is the goal, but we won't get to the championship day one. Like, or we won't get to the championship tomorrow. It's gonna take eighteen weeks. It's gonna take twenty four weeks. It's gonna take you know. It's, it takes some time. It's gonna may take four years because of a recruiting class and building up our our capacity to uh, work the system, understand the system, get everybody comfortable in the system, so that way you can run the no huddle offense with ease with everybody knows what they're doing right um though those are if we start encouraging incorporating that that lens into this work um i i believe you know, will get a lot of people believing that dei hat like is a necessity in the way that we orchestrate our organizations and not just see it as 
um, on the on the, the first in first out type of a mentality, especially with all these layoffs happening in the DEI space, right? Um, the vision has to be cast. The vision has to be clear. It has to be locked up what the organization is doing. And yes, show a little bit of progress to make sure that people, you know, unfortunately is, you know, you got to show me that you're actually working, right? Like show a little bit of progress and status updates, but know that the big, the big payoff, the championship is going to happen once everybody trusts the system and trusts the process. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. All right. So let's fast forward out and then we'll end it this way. Let's fast forward mm-hmm. out. Um, you're a year in the role, theoretically. Um, what are what are some what are some wins and successes that you are hoping to see? But I'm gonna give you a couple. We'll do a little trivia. I'll give you a couple yeah. examples. Um, I'll give you I'll give you some examples. Let me see. I'm pulling up my uh, pulling up my 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 document here. So, what are you hoping to see from? And you can pick maybe one of these, but what are you hoping to see from learning and development? What are you hoping to see when it comes to decision making? Um, what are you hoping to see as it pertains to um, like psychological safety? Like, what are some things you're hoping to see after a year of doing this great work um, in in those three categories? Like, any any ideas? Anything tangible come to mind? Well, what's what's <laughs> tangible and this is hard to to articulate in this way but a lot of this is 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 personal self-work to reflect and to process our own worldview positions perspectives behaviors and how that plays a role in the outwardly to the people and the impact that it has on other people right um and so where from any of those levels where i see a success measurement will be uh folks are able to quickly identify or have the ability to work through a a framework or a lens that operate that recognizes their um, biases privilege um, recognizes the impact has a has a perspective of the either the social other or those who are most marginalized most vulnerable or historically excluded and that's like immediately a part of like their decision making or question framework like if we are doing an uh, initiative that is in the L&D space, if we're teaching a new course on how to be an effective leader, uh, have we thought about what does it mean to be a leader? <laughs> like, do we know what it means to be a leader from every lens of our social identity? And who are we representing when we say leadership? Who are we, uh, what type of skills are necessary and are we incorporating skills that may not be traditionally honored in this space? Like, I, I think I remember reading somewhere that, uh, hard skills such as learning Excel or you know le- looking at PLs all that kind of stuff like that stuff is important but the soft skills are the are, are the big wins when it comes to uh, a strong management and leadership team so even as we dig deeper into the soft skills uh, like uh, being able to have conversations with uh, with our staff and and be and practice a level of empathy in that in that role, we are being empathetic by understanding and while also understanding the historical context of a person's identity. So I'm not just going to talk to everybody the same way. I'm going to talk to you in a way that is appropriate for you. And then you understand that's relating to you, right? Which would incorporate that psychological safety. Um, and even just verbally, like, you know, just some verbal ways to communicate with other staff, but uh, even thinking about what are the nonverbal ways that we're communicating or what are the, um, if, if somebody is uh, maybe has, has a different way of learning a neurological diversity, right? Like how are we incorporating uh, all the ways to communicate to a person that makes sense and fits what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those types of things will have to be a part of the work. So not only are we just providing an online course for somebody to, to look at it, but we are also providing all text within that online course, or we're providing um, some assistance or accessibility when it comes to that course, right? Um, or maybe somebody just needs to read it. <laughs> they, yep. they don't have the video set up. So they maybe just need to read the context. So how are we transcribing it? And there's a transcription in multiple languages. So it's, yep. it's, 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 it's a critical lens in how we look at the work. And um and in a year from now, being able to look at those, uh, you know, you said L and D's and cycle safety, we're looking at just how we do work. It, it is, we, we take that extra step to be, to align our intention with our impact. And we're not just putting things out there just in one way, because that's the way we always done it. 
we're taking the extra step of asking the question, is that appropriate? And does that still meet the needs or meeting the uh, engaging or reaches the people that we are that have that are have been hard to reach or unable to reach because mm -hmm. the traditional methods haven't been haven't been accommodating for them. Yeah, I love all of that. I love all of that. And and, and the tip that I would give to you and anyone else um, that's that are in these roles, um, as you look at you know, L&D, as you look at redoing or restructuring decision-making processes are, and to make them more um, equitable, to make them more fair, to make them more fluid, to make them to make them mm -hmm. faster. Um, as you look at workflows where you're going to, because um, that's another factor too, right? We're, and this is kind of connected to my tip, mm -hmm. a lot, a lot of, a lot of the DEI work can actually be in the eye of the DEI, where a lot of the inclusive, like like this is a whole nother rant that I I won't do the full version of it, but there should be individual processes for each one. Like I've seen, you know, yes. I've seen really, you know, there should be let's say five processes and five inputs um, for D, you know, for D for diversity, for yes. you know, for for you know, equitable equitable moments and, and and processes that you want to try to put inside the company, and then I, and then B, like there there should be your own things for each one. And what I've noticed that can get the attention here's my tip um, that can get the attention of that CFO or that CEO or whoever you report to is if you attack the I first, actually. And you look at workflows, or if you look at um, psychological safety or decision making, or if you look at, um, and I'm literally scrolling through here, diversity of thought, and you do it in a way where it'll make teams work faster, harder, better with each other, and generate more ideas that the company can make money on. If you if you if you pitch it like that, yeah, I've noticed is who who will give you who inevitably will be having to sign the checks and give you budget and autonomy, they're going to say, ah, I get it now. I see yeah. what you're saying. Because what I've noticed is a lot of folks that are like you and I that are trying to work on this work subconsciously, and I know this is scary, but subconsciously, those that are in the decision-making positions that we report to don't internally and emotionally care as much Mm -hmm. about the color and gender and fair variables as right. I think they should. But what they care about in the immediate is if the teams are working faster and harder with each other. And you know you're doing it from a really good humanistic spot, but they know on the other side that it's going to impact the business. So it's kind of like you're just finessing the system a little bit. It's like, you know what? I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to do it in a way that's very humanistic. So it's a win-win on both sides. You know what of I mean? Of course. You know, and that and that's honestly from a short term, like you said, short term win perspective, like those are the things that are necessary for the work to continue. Like, and that's that's a lot of the reason why we have to be infused into the business to be able to ask those questions to understand what are your goals, what are you striving towards, how what do you see in efficiencies? Here's an idea. <laughs> Let's try this. Or mm -hmm. let me take that back and let me see what I can do to help support that effort. And let's let's track some measure measurements, right? Like uh the one of the things I think about is the lean management system, um, where there's a lot of that check and adjust that's occurring when we identified what the what the problems and the root causes are, then we do a a test of change and through that through those steps then we able to say okay um here's my test of change that i want to bring to the table of recruiting um let's start recruiting in these ways let's add this language let's put it in these spaces where we haven't been engaged in and let's see what happens right like here's what here's where we will hope to see measurements on a certain month the month or week the week or what have you and then uh, and if that doesn't work, then we can say, okay, maybe we see, we saw some progress, but it wasn't the progress we were looking for. How do we tweak it to make it work? But it still aligns with the overall goal of, 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 of recruiting, you know, increasing recruiting numbers. Right. Um, so there, there is a, like, I love the finessing perspective, which I know finessing can have a terrible term in some spaces, but honestly, if we're trying to get this work to be completed, there has to be a little bit of finessing on the front end. And then, because uh, we're building trust and buy-in with the institution that uh, we are capable in this department, this work is is important and is needed. Um, 
So we have to have it embedded into the work to then rise up and say, all right, like now let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's get the work. Yeah. And, I, and I'll give one last tip and then please mm -hmm. pl plug anything you want to plug and then I'll get you out of here because I right. really appreciate your time. Um, my, my, my dude, Rob, he uh, he's the founder of Almas and a really great guy and frankly, a mentor to me. Um, old school Deloitte guy. I think he's in his 60s and uh, just really been around the, around the world, done a lot of great work. And one great thing that he's always taught me from a sales perspective that can help some, some current or future heads of DEIs out here, or some heads of people out here um, that can help, right? Because at the end of the day, what a lot of people don't realize is every human being on the face of the earth is a salesperson. Mm. If they sell mm -hmm. something, right? You want to get a job, you got to sell yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people think salespeople are people that are just selling products or services. No, you're selling at all times. You want to get your husband or your spouse, or your your significant other or your kids to do something. It's selling. It's convincing. It's it's getting into their psychology. It's it's. And so one thing that he's taught me um, that I think a lot of HR people can learn, a lot of DNI people can learn. Try to understand. Let's say you report to a CFO. Try to understand what KPIs and OKRs that CFO is being judged and measured against. Yep. If you can solve. If you can help them keep their job longer, I promise you they're going to start giving you budget. Okay. Like if, if you can really, if people can really internalize that tip, it'll blow your mind. It's and that, that one little subtlety Rob said to me one day, like weeks ago, and I was like, that is so right. If we can, if whatever we're trying to sell, whatever we're trying to bring in can help keep this person's job longer, right? Because every person, yeah. everybody has a KPI and OKR in different ways. Everyone goes to performance review. So um, we'd love your quick thoughts on that. And then I'll, yeah, plug, and I'll plug anything you want to plug and I get you out of here. That's how you win. Honestly, uh, you, you, you help the coach succeed by doing your, knowing what their goals are and uh, try to in, help anticipate that need, man. And I, I think that's what I've witnessed a lot in this leadership space, especially as I develop as a leader. Um, the more that it, it, it's sad, but true, the more that I help, my boss look good the, <laughs> the better you know we will be and and that's a lot of it's anticipating their needs anticipating what they're like they're being measured and that, that makes tremendous sense so why not take that same level of perspective and the way that we're building relationships with people and and but do it in a way that's genuine right it's not like a scratch my back scratch yours you nope. know, it should be no quipo crow however you say that but um but it's like all right like if we all need to win we all have a role to play Yep. And we all have not not necessarily take sacrifices, but we all have an op opportunity to help each other in a collective state, in a collaborative state. Um, so how do I help you and achieve this? And by doing so, hopefully reap the benefit of getting more support down the road. And, you know, that's key. That's a good key. A hundred percent. Plug anything you want to plug, brother, and I'll get you out of here. Yeah, man. So for y'all, I appreciate the being on the E1B2 Collective. I've been like I I mentioned to you offline. I've been following your journey for since the pandemic and prior to the pandemic. Actually, what does it mean to be a great leader? So I appreciate the content you're putting out um, in your podcast, man. And uh, so I I have a podcast as well on the mic with Ray White. Uh, you can find it on all social media platforms, all podcasting platforms you see fit. Uh, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram at uh, Ray Devante. So you can find me there too. Um, and eventually, uh, two things. One, uh, I'm gonna have a book coming out here pretty soon called Advocacy in Action, Nine Practical Ways for Allies and Social Justice. Just really getting at the, answering the question of what do I do whenever uh, a leader is experiencing social injustice that's happening around them and how do they understand and cognitively navigate that for themselves, but then also be an advocate for others in their spaces to create this belonging culture that we seek. So that'll be coming out here pretty soon. And then the second thing is I do speaking in public, uh, public speaking, coaching, consulting as well um, through through this umbrella and just love to engage leaders, uh, executive leaders, uh, people managers, those who are really working to create uh, an inclusive community where every identity belongs and thrives. And not only finding a way to implement it within their work, but to just to hold space because there are not many places and spaces where leaders can go and to fumble through how to be a better DEI practitioner in their current role. So I love to hold space for leaders in that way. Um, and then uh, if you find, 
find me on social media and let me know where you're listening to this episode. I can plug that to you too. And we can have a conversation so I can support you and your efforts of being the equitable leader that I know you can be and you know you can be. Well, brother, I appreciate you. This has been hey, this is this has really been a dope conversation. This is probably one of the better, the better podcasts that I've ever done. Um <laughs> and on the record too, uh, for all the listeners this was all freestyle. Like we didn't mm-hmm. have anything that, you know, so, um, and that's a skill in itself too. So we should probably pat ourselves on the back for that. Um, but I appreciate you, brother. We will, uh, I'll have this edited soon and, and, uh, and we'll get it out to the world. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on the show, man. Appreciate it.